This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Thanks for tuning in. Wrong one. Hang on. I'm going to have to have him <laughs> cut that. You're good. Yeah. Do a little. Yak Gadget, made in America, based outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Yak Gadget offers all kinds of storage accessories, quick mount motor mounts, anchor systems, track monitored accessories, even paddles. Go to yakgadget.com and get your kayak decked out for your next trip out on the water. The 153 Bay Company, based in Troy, Ohio, make everything from plastics to custom painted hard baits. Hook them hard and hook them off. All of our baits are made to order and all of our hard baits are hand painted to order. So go to the153anglers.com to place your order today. This segment is brought to you by Jigmasters. Step up your game with high-quality performance jigs, spinner baits, buzz baits, and more from Jigmasters.com. And always, when in doubt, get the jig out. You're listening to Bass Fishing for News on the Allen Finn Podcast with your hosts, Ryan Milford and Sean Lambert. Welcome back to Bass Fishing for Noobs on the Paddle and Fin Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. Got the co-host in here, Sean. How's it going, Sean? Hey, what's up, guys? I'm doing very good, sir. How are you? I'm just great, especially because we have an epic guest tonight, one that I've been wanting to have on here for a while. And uh, he's been on Paddle and Fin before. He hasn't been on Bass Fishing for Noobs yet. He runs his own podcast called Hooked on Wild Waters. We have Mr. Drew Gregory. Welcome to the show, sir. What's up, guys? Cheers to all my uh, Paddle and Finn viewers, listeners, hosts like you guys. You guys do a great job. So cheers to everybody out there watching the show. And, man, we're looking to have a good time tonight. Yeah, we're going to pick your brain, try to figure out all your secrets to how you uh, you know, how, how you know, jump in late in the Hobie series last year. I, I think you only fished three events that you needed yeah. to, to get uh, your AOI points up. And then come in to the uh, the TOC and right. 
end up taking Angler of the Year for Hobie and went it went in that Hobie kayak. Did, did you keep it? I, I had to ask. Did, did you did you keep that? Cool story about that. So, yeah, it was really cool. First of all, I mean, Hobie does a great job. I, I don't know how much. I think I won some cash that kayak a bunch of stuff was loaded on it i mean it was probably like 12 or thirteen thousand dollars worth of stuff for the aoi package alone and then um that at the toc the tournament of champions for the noobs listening that don't know this is the championship event for the hobie bass open series and dude one day maybe i can get together with you guys and do a podcast on explaining to everybody the three trails, three national trails and regionals and local how it all sort of ties in how you can get involved but anyway Hobie Bass Open Series does a good job. And at the Tournament of Champions, the championship, when I win the Angler of the Year title, I was sitting at a table with only two other anglers. Um, It was like COVID, you know, so it was socially distanced. Mm -hmm. And you just randomly just sit down with whoever. And I sat down with Jackson Orr and Jim Orr. Jackson is a young gun, up and comer. I mean, not even up and coming. He already is here in the sport. Dad is an incredible angler as well. And just two great, great guys in our sport. And the moment I sat down after winning that award, um, Jim, you know, Jackson's dad said, hey, man, are you, will you sell that to us? <laughs> you know, if, if you're not going to be in it, because I'm with Crescent Kayaks and, and I guess mm-hmm. they thought I'm going to sell it. But I actually was considering keeping it because Crescent doesn't make any you know, pedal drives. Yes. And so we we I mean, we love all the companies at Crescent Kayaks. You know, we, we do. We love everybody. We don't really have a beef with anybody. We're just all, you know just cool with everybody love and just, we just love the sport and we have especially no issues of course with anybody that makes pedal drives because that's not really what we're in. So I was like, Hey, I could just keep this and use it for Hobie tournaments. But you know, I talked to the wife and she was like, yeah, but you're not going to use it that much really. And you could probably get it. And you know, this was a really custom color. It had all that stuff on it and they were wanting to buy it. So I said, all right, I said, I'll sell it to them. And uh, it was, pretty quick and, and easy actually big thanks to aj uh, actually ryan lambert offered right after they did he offered to buy it too so there was like two people already offering and then um aj was so cool he said don't even touch don't even need to touch it i'll take it to jackson at dale hollow later this year uh ryan uh, lambert offered the same thing actually he probably did first actually but i never had to touch the thing it was pretty cool so uh it went to a good guy and he has an, uh, now a custom color so it's pretty special for him to have that unique custom Hobie. So anyway, good time, yeah. but you're right. Three events is all I fished and that's the minimum you needed to, to, you know, to fish obviously um, in the Hobie series. That's actually how all the, the trails run. KBF does the same thing. Your best three finishes just got man, just super blessed and fortunate to you have three really good ones right there in a row. And, uh, and then a fourth good one, I guess at the, the TOC and was and really, really mostly fortunate that, you know, two guys that don't ever falter, Jody Queen and Russ Snyder, the only two guys ahead of me in the AOI standings, actually did not get five. Each of them didn't get five fish one of the two days. And I've never seen that happen before. So exact circumstances I needed to happen happened, and uh, I finished seventh, and they were they were down far enough where somehow I leapfrogged them. So pretty cool. But anyway, yeah. um, that's we that. actually We actually had Jody and Russ on right after that to talk about, really? you know, recovering, like, like I guess coming up short on a tournament like that, and how you recover mentally and everything from that to move on to your next one. That episode, you know, that was a good one. Uh, I believe that aired back in like November. So if anybody didn't catch that, you want to go back check that out. You, you should go back. 
Yeah, yeah, you should go back and listen to it. The reason why I say you should go back and listen to it because whatever they said obviously works because Jody Queen went on to win the uh, the the ten and won ten thousand dollars winning the KBF the ten and has had an incredible year. And Russ Snyder's has won man two or three times already this year, and he's leading in the AOI standings for both Hobie and KBF right now. So obviously, whatever they said there, they they knew how to do it and recover. So. You know, well, uh, yeah, well, it was I, just like a weekend or two after that they went. I forget where it was at. It was a bass event right after the TOC. Yeah, and uh, yep, and I believe Chickamauga they well on that. Yeah, yeah, I believe that's right. Yep, they did. They did do well there. So, but, uh, but yeah, so like we said, you know, you just entered three events, which is what you needed. You know, it was your best three events for Hobie. You entered them, mm-hmm. went and killed it, and you know got enough AOI points to be in the running, and then killed it at the TOC. Uh, at the TOC. So one of the things we were wanting to talk about tonight was how you, I guess, kind of prep for that. And yeah, I, I know, I know you do like a ton of map study and all that, and so be interested in hearing a little more detail and how you do that and yeah, all that man. good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty obsessed with the the prep work and the map study because even though I work in the the kayak fishing industry, I don't I'm not a full-time kayak fishing tournament angler. So I don't have the time because because the way these tournaments are, these national tournaments and obviously local and regional, you could pre-fish, you know, if you're young, single, have no responsibilities, you could just be fishing for 2-3 weeks if you wanted to at the lakes uh rivers before the tournament. So, I'm probably more like a lot of you guys listening and watching this now. I just don't have unlimited time to pre-fish. I've got a wife, a toddler at home, three dogs, a lot going on with Crescent Kayaks where I'm working on you know, a new design with them, um, director of fishing for Crescent and a lot of other stuff just to kind of get us on the right, the right path to continue to, to kind of grow, you know, in this industry. So I usually, I mean, I try, I still do try to get, you know, two, two and a half, maybe even three days of pre-fishing in, which is still probably more than a lot of you guys out there watching get. But, um, a lot of what I do is like you guys are saying, it's a lot of, you know, research on the internet, a lot of map study, paying attention to, to previous tournaments and how they were won, um, and paying attention to the things I'm a little bit more, um, I guess, experienced at, which is uh, rivers and creeks and gauges and just kind of just all of that, just tying it all in together. So um, I guess, you know, I guess I'm trying to figure out where to start on all this. I mean, I guess we could start with, you know, how I do map study. And by the way, we, uh, Sean and I were talking uh, offline there before we started. I did do a more detailed uh, episode of Hooked on Wild Waters on this too with um, Ken Morris, who we call Dr. Noisewater. So if anyone wants to go back and listen to that or watch that episode, you probably want to watch that one because we pull in some actual maps on the screen and we talk about you know how we do it. But I'll you know definitely be able to explain a lot of that here. So first of all, you need to the first thing I'll tell everybody is. You, know, you need to download Google Earth Pro. If it's a desktop app, it's not. It's not like you just go on, you know, Google Maps. Um, and that's fine for when you're, you know, just on your phone somewhere and have time to kill at the doctor's office and you're waiting just to to do that. But you definitely need to have a system on your maps to be able to drop pins. You know, people call them waypoints in the bass boat world. You know, drop a waypoint, drop a pin on locations that you are interested in. 
hopefully seeing in person when you finally do get to that body of water, you need to have a system for that. Now, Google, uh, if you sign in, you have an account, you obviously can, through Google Maps online, you can use that tool or you can use the Google Earth Pro desktop tool. And I use the Google Earth Pro. I use them both, uh, actually. But what I do is I go in to Google Earth Pro. I look at the lake, and um, basically, all the you need to read your rules, understand your boundaries, of course. And then you just want to just—I mean, it's it's fun to me. I love it. Uh, I go and I just look at the whole, all the boundaries. I go as far up the rivers and creeks as, as I can. I can tell that's probably still you know got some water and is fishable. And I go all around the lake and just start dropping things that look interesting to me. Then, then the next thing you do is you actually, um, you can do some other sort of different research. You could go, you look at YouTube videos. You can find any on those lakes and, uh, just articles, anything like that, just to kind of read about like that. But then after, uh, give it like a week or two and then go back to your map and do the whole thing again. Because what you'll find is as you go around that, let's call it a circle for lack of, even though a lake's not going to be a true circle, but you're going to go in a, you always want to go in a direction. You know what I mean? Like when you're going around the lake, stay, once you start at one marina or dock or boat ramp, wherever you're going to start, continue that one direction all the way around. Do it again because if you'll, you'll be surprised when you go around the lake one time like that and you drop pins, when you go around the second time, because if you think about it, guys, if you go, if you start and you see like a big, chunk of lily pads and you first start going you're like "Ooh, that looks pretty cool lily pads bass love lily pads but then next thing you know you keep going around the whole lake and then the whole lake is full of lily pads so you got all these pins and it's like lily pads weren't as unique as they as you thought they were when you were first starting so maybe because you're kind of looking for you know bass like they're like humans in the sense that you know they big bass let's just let me preface that big bass because we're after big ones right so big bass are sort of like think about like the rich and powerful maybe like anybody on the planet that's rich and powerful you don't see them living on the bottom of a valley and somewhere kind of like blah they're like on the beautiful point on on the ocean on the water big house whatever they got a great view they're on the cliffside i mean you never see you just don't see it so the big bass have the same you know obviously money is sort of gets gets us those things here but they have more of like just just uh you just power to push out the other little bass and and claim that like this is my area just you know um what's the word i'm looking for in the animal kingdom when it's uh survival not survival the fittest maybe but it's sort of like that yeah it's just the alpha they're just pushing them out and they just sort of alpha them like this is where i am dude so i'm bigger than you i'm gonna you know just be here and you're not going to do anything about it. So they want the best ambush points, the biggest bass. They want the, the best, you know, uh, places to hide, obviously brush pile, rock pile. They want the ones that are big enough to sh- put shade on them. So they're hidden when they ambush. These are ambush predators. We're talking about here. You know, you don't mug somebody, not that anybody would mug anybody, but if you were ever going to mug somebody, you don't do it in the broad open daylight of an alley. You got to have some cover. You got to have some darkness. And then, you know, they come by and that's what they're doing. They're just ambushing. So what, my point is there, there's going to be unique things on every lake. that are, you know, those sort of primo areas because there's not, 
not every part of the country has the beautiful you know, house on a point right overlooking the water. So there's only so many of them. So anyway, you, you start, you go around the lake again, because you're going to a, when you go around the lake again, you're going to pull away pens. You're going to start pulling them away because you got too many. You only have a day to, to pre-fish or a day and a half, two days, uh, three, whatever you have, you're not going to get to all your pens. So you have to start the process of elimination and pulling the ones away. Or maybe you just change the color of them. Maybe if you don't want to completely remove them, change the color. Then, um, you, you know, you'll see when you go around the lake and it was all a bunch of lily pads, but, but then you found there were maybe just like, I don't know, 10 locations on that lake that you could see rock and there wasn't rock anywhere else in the lake or some, some big, uh, some wood, or there was just a few docks or whatever, something unique, something different. That's where those bigger fish are, are generally going to be. That's going to attract them. Now, the way you find some of this stuff guys on Google earth pro it's not like I'm telling some big secret here, but a lot of people don't know it. So what you do, there's actually a little tap at the, at the top and it shows a little clock. That's got a little arrow going back in time, showing kind of like going back in time. You can click on that and you scroll back and you can see photos of that lake satellite imagery of that lake at, you know, at different times of the different year, a different, yeah, different water levels, different times of the year different years so all the way back to i think you get good satellite imagery back into like the 2000s maybe early 2000s if you get too far you know back it's it's just too blurry to really do anything with but once you get in the late 2000s so usually every lake will have depending on if it's closer to a metropolis or not but it'll have like enough enough satellite photos where you can find a picture of the lake at its lowest point um you know so maybe the lake was in a drawdown maybe they, we didn't get enough rain and it's eight feet low or 10 feet low, that's huge because if it's low, it's generally clear. If it's clear, you can not only see, uh, you know, the, the stuff that's obviously uh, now dry, the rock, the rock, rocky points or uh, a big stump or some brush piles or whatever it is, you know, man-made structure. Uh, you can see the pieces of, of the huge concrete blocks or washing machines or dryers that they use to hold the cables for, uh, their docks in place, things like that. Not only can you spot that stuff when it's dry, if it is, you can now see it when it's that low. Usually it's clear. You can still see where it is under the water enough, enough to tell that something is there, drop a pin. And if you're inclined and, and have the electronics, you can go right by it and scan it. And uh, uh, once you're there in person and really see what it is. So uh, anyway, that's, it's, that's one of the, big tips that I love to do. So you're going to add a lot more pins when you go back in history and, and obviously see the lake much, much lower. So now that you, now that you got all the pins, you, you got to, you know, your waypoints, you just got to go back again. You go back. I mean, dude, I do it like, I mean, so many times because you got to find something because then the problem is you say, man, this was too easy. This was too obvious. All those spots, everybody else fishing the tournament is probably seeing all the same stuff and they're going to be all over that. They're going to be all over this where can I find something that's just subtle, different, small? Because I mean, finding a good spot is, is great, but it's not that good. If 10 people are on that spot too, and there probably is not enough fish there to, you know, allow 10 people to share it and anybody win because you're kind of cannibalizing. So now you got to go back again. This is where I say, it's like, it's fun. You just can you just keep going and keep going and, and fleshing stuff out. Now you got to find 
well, where are the little sneaky and subtle spots? And then, then you have to actually look. Uh, I go to the Far Wide app. Far Wide is the app that uh, is sponsoring the Angler of the Year. They share the property information. So now you got to look and see. They also show all your boat ramps and your your public launches that are known, right? But it also shows you the property data for the launches that aren't really quote normal like boat ramps and launches. So a bridge, places like that that you know may be legal to launch from because it's public. Again, you got to look at the property who owns it. Um, but a bridge, you know, you've got some some public right away there at bridges. But now that you got your pins. You got to start developing a system for and a plan and stick to it for the days of pre-fishing, right? Interrupt me at any time, too, guys. I can sit here and kind of like ramble and talk. So <laughs> no, if you have no, questions, if you have questions, just go for it. The far wide app was something <laughs> that I wasn't familiar with before, but um, now that uh, um, mm-hmm. you know, after listening to your uh, your your episode on hooked on wild waters, that I was something I've gone back and played with now, and there really is a lot of great information in there that you can't really get other places easily. Yeah, there's it is. But so one, you got the oh, – go ahead, go ahead, Ryan, yeah. I was just going to say one thing. Uh, by the way, I'm, I'm loving this because I just started messing with the Google Earth Pro – or Pro, I guess in color yeah. app or whatever you want to – Sure. But uh, I just started messing with that and doing this. And, uh, like, definitely go back and listen to Drew's episode on Hooked on Wild Waters where he goes in more detail about this kind of stuff. But something else, if you're like me and visual aids help you learn a little more – uh, fish the moment also has a mm-hmm. video that you could watch for reference in this. Um, I believe it's this one here. I was looking it up while you were talking that it's, I believe it's change your fishing forever with this Google earth trick. I think that's the name of mm-hmm. that video where he goes, this, but he actually goes in and shows you how to put it on an SD card so you can put it in your fish finder and mm-hmm. have those waypoints on your fish finder, which is really cool. So check that out too. Yeah, Sorry, absolutely. You, no, you're good. You can actually, um, man, it's like you, you come with this and you just like, ah, uh, you just give up. You kind of have to give up the stuff, man. Like, you know what I mean? So you can actually, I can't walk you through like verbally how to do it, but you can actually take the, the dot KML files, which he explains all that for the fish finder, the SD card on that uh, video. Edwin Evers is one of the first ones that did the Google Earth Pro video as well. If you ever go watch Edwin Evers, he does a part one and part two on this on his YouTube. And uh, he was kind of like I feel now sometimes how I feel sometimes on my podcast. And I'm just like, I can't believe I'm sharing all this. Like, oh, <laughs> like, oh man, put like noobs out, Drew. Ah, dude, out. you know, this is one of those sports that literally by you just listening right now, you can get that much better. This isn't baseball or golf where it takes so many repetitions now you need them obviously but you can you can't just tell someone to shoot a basketball better oh just do this just move your arm this way do that and and they're going to go out there and improve like just exponentially that much better but fishing just by knowledge just knowledge alone with what we're about what we're saying here you can increase your productivity on the water a ton without repetitions uh but obviously you still need those and but anyway, so it's just weird because this is a sport where it's hard to like talk about this stuff sometimes, give it up when it maybe it took us so long to learn it. And now the social media age is like anyway, but you can take them from you can take those files, uh, export them and get them on your your phone on Google Maps on your phone as well. So when you're out there, if you got your phone, if, if you don't have a fish finder, if you just want to use your phone, you can basically you got your little blue dot, right? sitting there and where showing where you are and the map is there 
and you can see the you can't see the brush pile or the rock or whatever you'd marked under the water because you found it on Google Earth Pro back from a 2014 photo when the foot was 10 foot down, but you can see your pen and you can see that house in the distance. If you can see the house in the distance, you can see it on the map, right? Uh, even though the water's not drawn, drawn yep. down, you can still see the map. You can see where your, your blue dot is. All you have to do is make a cast. Once you get the right position, if you make a cast at the house and it's and your bait's going across your waypoint, you're going to find that piece of structure. Or if you have a fish finder, you can obviously just side scan it or whatever you got to do, like down scan it. But if you don't, if you don't have a fish finder, that's a little trick on how you can still hit a target that's offshore that nobody else, uh, you know, is really hitting except for those guys that probably have already found that and have fish finders, but you get the idea. You don't have to have the, the, even the fish finder to like actually hit the offshore structure and targets necessarily. But anyway, the far white app, I guess that's where we were talking about um, that. And what, one thing I like to do with that also is it's not foolproof because it's not exact, but usually you can click on uh, the blue line of a river or Creek going up from a lake or, um, you know, whatever you can click on it and it'll tell you the name of the Creek and it'll tell you how long it is, how many miles it is. The only tricky part on that is sometimes if it goes across the border of a state, it only tell how many miles it is until it hit that border. Then you got to click on it again on the other side of the state line. It'll tell you that the other thing that's tricky is it might tell you how long that Creek is, but then you got to kind of like zoom out and look and say, but okay, if that Creek is, let's say it's only 20 miles long, which is not really enough to be a fishable creek really 20 miles isn't enough drainage right but if you have two creeks feeding that creek and one of them is 17 another one is whatever like 15 add all that up together and that much water volume is enough to where after those two creeks have dumped into the, the main creek now you've got to combine whatever it is like 40 something miles or 50 i don't know um, what i just said exactly but you get the point you now you've got a fishable amount of water so you can kind of help determine uh, how big the creeks are a little bit more than just seeing how wide they are based on your you know view from the satellite imagery. And that'll help you see like, okay, is this creek really worth it? Checking out, is it not? Uh, but my rule of thumb, I don't remember what I said on Hooked on Wild Waters, but so this could be a little off what I said, but my rule of thumb is somewhere in like the 30-ish miles. If you start getting around 30 miles of, of creek, whether it's, um, I'm not, there's obviously little creeks that feed in like that are four and five and six miles. I don't really worry about those. I'm just talking the main Creek, but I will take into account if there's any other big ones like that are 15 or 20 miles flowing into that Creek. But if they're, if they're 30 miles thereabouts and they're in the, the normal Southeast Midwest, they'll have water. If you're talking Texas, you probably need a lot more miles. You know what I mean? It's a more hotter climate. It kind of varies, but you get the idea. So the cool thing about far wide is, you can, uh, if you ever notice on Google Maps, Google Earth Pro, they're amazing. But what one thing they stink at is keeping, uh, it's hard to find a creek or river name when you're scrolling up around the creeks and the rivers. It's like, you got to like get to a certain level of, you know, close zoom. or away, yeah. zoom, yeah. And then sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. You got to follow the, the right creek. spot down there. Yeah, <laughs> you got to like move it to from satellite to map mode sometimes. That helps. You go way up the creek. It's like weird, but far wide is easy because it'll just tell you. It tells you how long it is. So that's pretty cool. But anyway, um, the other thing, now that you've got your points, you get, you've used far wide a little bit. You've, you've used 
YouTube and Google just to research articles and find any information you can of getting eyes on your, uh, you know, fishery. You want to, if you, you know, anything you can do. Another thing you can do or you need to do now is I, you really want to highlight the pins that are your most likely, the, your, the ones that really you feel have the most um, potential. And once you do that, you, you don't worry about access, the nearest access point. You just want to find the ones with the most potential first. Then you start looking around through the far white app and looking at all the different access points to the lake. And then you start, you know, finding the closest one. How, how can I get there? Am I a mile away? Am I eight miles away? What's the closest spot I can possibly get? Because now you got to plan it that into your pre-fishing because you would just want to get there as fast as possible on tournament day and pre-fishing. Um, but if it's far away, it should, I mean, it shouldn't deter you. Cause in some ways that's a good thing because maybe not everybody's going there. In my opinion, it is like, Oh, ooh, it's, you know, this is seven or eight miles away, but with tournaments allowing you to get on the water before, um, before lines end 15 or 30 minutes, if you are allowed motors or not motors, it doesn't matter. You can still make some progress. If, it, if you have a pedal kayak, you can usually get a couple miles, you know, two, three miles away sometimes, uh, again, depending if you have motor or not. And that's if somewhere, if something is like six miles away or whatever, if you've gotten three miles and you know, lines in hasn't even started yet, then it may be worth uh, giving a shot, especially in pre-fishing. Obviously if you found fish there, cause you, I would rather be somewhere by myself, honestly, than hmm. some, you know, that's, Hey, my podcast is uh, hooked on wild waters. Right. And that's, that's kind of what I've, known for is the river bass and stuff and hooked on wild water. So I want to, honestly, I, I strive for that. It's like a, one of my main goals. I've never actually said this on a podcast, uh, not even mine, really. I think people know it, but like my main goal is to never see a person find a spot that nobody else has found. I do. I did it on Ufala for the, I got seventh on BASS Ufala. Uh, I never saw another kayak angler the whole time. Um, actually I saw one really far away. He never saw me. Um, but, I found, so this kind of ties into that conversation. I found a couple of places I could put in on Lake Ufala that were not accessible by anyone who had a bigger kayak. So this is a, a win or advantage for a lot of the new guys listening to the show. You may not have a, a, a big a native Titan or a new canoe, some big thing or a, a Hobie, uh, you know, PA with, uh, you know, pro angler with, with um, you know, pedals. That's that weighs a hundred and something pounds you or any of these boats that with motors, like a solo skiff at Crescent, we make the solo skiff. It's big, it's heavy. A lot of new guys actually just get into a paddle kayak. It might be 10 foot long. Uh, I use the Crescent ultralight. It's 10 foot, 49 pounds. I can, it's just a throw and go back of the truck. Boom, 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 in and out. There's no rule against uh, taking in and out as many times as you, as you want in a day. So I found a couple little sneak spots that I knew, I could get to the, the back of a couple of little areas that look good to me. And I did okay in pre-fishing uh, at the beginning of the, of the morning. So I threw my little 10 foot ultralight in fish for 45 minutes in, in the first spot, took out fish for went five minutes down the road, fished another one real quick, took out fish, maybe 30 minutes there. And in about an hour and 15 minutes, I, I had a limit. I had four fish at that first little spot, including 18 incher. And then the next spot I, um, I, caught a couple fish and had a limit. I think my limit was like 14 inches and up at that point. 
and and I never saw a soul, but they got I, I know people fish that area 100%, but they just came cuz I saw a guy like I said I did see one guy who had put in at a ramp that was probably a couple miles away. When I was leaving that first spot, he was already they'd already gotten that close. So I know they came and fished eventually they worked their way into that cove. But I already had first crack at that at those fish I thought were there because there was a, a, a waypoint that I'd found, a piece of structure that I thought was unique, and I caught a fish off of it. So they might have got there. Maybe they caught them. I don't know. But the first cast into an area is obviously your, you know, every day. It's like fish reset day and night, you know, at, overnight. They feel like I feel like it resets their brains or whatever. The, in the morning, if the first cast in that area, you, you have a much higher percentage of hookup, right? I mean, so – I got that fish and somebody may have fished it and pre-fishing and caught fish off of it. And then they got there that day and they just wondered what the heck happened. I don't know. Or maybe they, they hammered them. I don't know, but I know that I got what I needed out of there, you know, and I only did it because I found a public access that only a little throw and go kayak could get in. Right. I'd fish it real quick, got out. Nobody saw me. Not that, I mean, whatever they saw me, that's, that's cool. But I just like to be stealthy, be hidden a little bit. Um, and then I went to another spot uh, 30 minutes away, never saw a soul in that area where I fished the whole rest of the day and ended up in seventh. So I just have more confidence when I'm fishing alone. I, I feel like I take my time. I fish the right way. I don't feel rushed or pressured by anybody around me. I'm relaxed. And when people are around me, I, I tend to, uh, I just tend to not do as well. I know it's one of my flaws. I don't do as well. I, I, I bombed on Lake Murray because I was fishing an area with honestly, the, I mean, Cody, Cody and Christine, um, Cody Milton, Christine Fisher, uh, Josh Stewart. We, a lot of the other hammers were there. And every time I come around the corner, somebody was sitting on a spot where I had history and had caught like a giant fish. And so it kept, I ended up going faster and trying to find places that I would fish faster to stay ahead. And everyone was kind of, I just didn't do well. So it's not one of my strengths. I'll say that. But so that's what I would say, um, is a good thing for the noobs. A small throw and go kayak is not, don't, don't see yourself as a disadvantage when you have a small light white kayak, because I see it as a big advantage. Now I did use my solo skiff when I switched later that day. I don't know if anyone's ever scrolled through any of my photos to notice that, but my, some of my fish in the morning, I'm in this little teeny 10 foot. And then later I have fish in a uh, seafoam green, big solo skiff. Um, there, there's no rule. I mean, against switching kayaks too, which is cool. Um, you know, because different, different tool, right. For different, Obviously, right. I was on big water. I was on bigger water with a motor in the second half of the day. So, uh, anyway, that's kind of um, that's kind of where I was going with the far wide and just the, the ac different access points and just being a little bit sneaky and stealthy. So, yeah, I don't know what else is next on the, uh, the prep work, but what do you that's guys some, think? Some, some good juice uh, for sure. Um, how do you go about? Uh, I know I, in the past when I've had this question is uh, I, I look at YouTube videos a little bit. Uh, how do you decide what you're throwing in a certain area or yeah. just what you're comfortable with or, or what, what research do you do in that way? Yeah, that's a good question. So actually this is one thing remind me to talk about this. So I need to talk about the pre-fishing, what, what I'm doing in pre-fishing because there's obviously the debate like, do you, how many fish do you hook? How many fish do you need to see in an area before you leave? Um, so, now what I do is sort of like, you know, my, my style, like fish eat a chatterbait almost year round. It's just my, it's one of the things I love to throw. It's my style. And I feel like I can get them to, to react on it. Um, so I always have one of those on in pre-fishing with a paddle tail swim bait or something like that. I use a, a four inch diesel minnow a lot. 
and I use the Project Z Chatterbait. But if there's too much grass, like in follow a swim jig will come through a little bit better mm -hmm. or, you know, like a, a floating worm or, or a, a frog and something like that. There's vegetation. But I like to, to use a lot of search baits. If it's warmer, a buzz bait, a whopper plopper, if there's no grass, you know, if there is grass, a buzz bait comes through a little bit better. Spinner bait comes through grass really well. Um, I just like to throw those search baits uh, in pre-fishing and in the tournament if I can. And I joke around. It's just like, you know, about finesse fishing. It's just not something I do. Um, I've, yeah, I've never even thrown a wacky rig. I don't even like, <laughs> I've never thrown one. I, and everyone's like shocked. And I just like, I keep waiting until I can not catch them. One day, if I can find somebody water somewhere happens where I can't catch them the way I want to catch them on a buzz bait, a spinner bait or chatter bait, a swim bait, you know, when that happens, I'll, I'll tie on a wacky rig. I will do it. If I promise I'll tell, I keep telling her I'll do it one of these days and it never <laughs> happens. It never happens. Now I'm not saying like, I, I mean, could I have done better? Maybe if I, you know, to me, like throwing as a soft plastic jerk bait, like a Z-Man streaks or the new darters they make is really good. It's just a, or a floating worm or something like that. Cinco that regular rig normal. I just, I mean, they're going to bite that. Right. So I've, I throw, I have thrown some of that stuff, especially the, the Z-Man streaks. So those new darters is really good. It's a, I always have one tied up because it's a good follow-up bait. If you miss something on a chatterbait or a spinnerbait or a buzzbait, you throw it right back in there, twitch it like it's, you know, dying. I don't think bass are, I don't think bass. And, and let me preface this, especially bass that I'm finding. Cause as we've talked about, I'm trying to find fish that are unpressured that nobody else is, is touching. When you find those fish, Sometimes I'm, I mean, I hate giving this away because it makes it seem like what I do is easy, but sometimes it doesn't even matter what you throw. I could put hooks on a stick and probably catch those <laughs> fish because they're so unpressured and uneducated. They'll eat almost anything, but it's not easy to find them. I mean, it sounds easy right here. We're talking about it. Everyone listen to this. You're pumped up. You're like, oh, I'm going to go find those fish. I, I wish every, every place that was like, took me so long to get to had like just incredible population of amazing fish. It's just, <laughs> not, it's not true, but it certainly is what I look for, but here's what's crazy. And uh, I'll wrap up on your question here in a second. I'll, I'll tie it all in, but here's what's crazy. The offshore guys are doing the same thing that I'm trying to do up shallow and up, you know, in, in places that are hard to get to. They're looking for the same dumb, uneducated fish that are living out in the middle that, have never really seen many lures. They've never seen a, a deep diving crankbait out in 20 foot, or they've never seen a, you know, a football jig out there or whatever you want to throw at them. Right. You know, it's just a little subtle something that's holding a ton of fish and there's no doubt about it. Groups of fish out offshore. They are way bigger than what I'm doing. Um, shallow and you may need that in tournaments that, you know, are especially if you, you ever uh, watch Bassmaster or major league fishing, um, the elite series guys, any of those guys, they the offshore fish tend to hold up over a multi-day tournament, you know, two or well, the three, four day events. So the shallow water stuff to me, it, it gets a little scary. It gets a little scary because if somebody else shows up there and this was a skinny, uh, maybe it was a Creek or a backwater that you kind of found little, little swampy backwater, shallow area. It's scary because there's not the same numbers. You know what I mean? You just got shallow water. It's not, it can't sustain the same numbers, but offshore, uh, big piles of bait coming by, you know, think about like, it's the ocean, you know, this is like the, there's a lot more fish out in the main ocean, um, 
that are Andromeda's fish, or whatever, isn't that the right word? Andromeda's the ones that just constantly swim. There are tons of those kind of fish. Uh, and then inshore, there's definitely a lot of fish, but it's just skinnier. So there can't be as many same things happen on, on a lake. So the lures, it's just sort of experience, you know, what works better in grass, what works better. But one thing I tell you about it is I don't, I try to move, and this ties back into my pre-fishing style, how you want to approach your, your several days. Cause you need to build yourself uh, a game plan. Uh, you know, if you've got some areas that are on the east side of the lake and you got four or five of your main pins, you try to hit as many as you can, if not get to all of them in one day. And you're like, man, that's crazy. Like try to get there. But, and I say that cause you know, you want to uh, see, you want to see what the water looks like. You want to see if there's current, if you're into to moving water, you want to see, um, cause sometimes if, if it's a kind of a river or a Creek and it's really not much current flowing in there, it's, it's not, it's not saying that the fish won't be there, but they're not quite as positioned. They're not quite as aggressive as they would be if there was, you know, some current. So if you go to multiple creeks and, or rivers on this side of the lake, or, then you can at least assess, okay, yeah, this is, I like this and there's more current and you'll, you're probably going to get more bites there too. But anyway, you at least get in, you get to fish them, like jump into a place for a couple hours. Uh, obviously the moment you get bit by something big, you can go. I mean, as, you know, as long as, I don't know, if it was just one big bite, maybe I'd stick around to see if there's a more of a population. But honestly, there, I mean, if you get one big bite there, there is, there's a population that bass isn't like the only bass there. So you can probably leave right then. And you're going to be tempted to stay and keep fishing because it's fun. You know, who doesn't want to keep catching fish? And, <laughs> right. you know, people, people are always like, oh, I had, I had 89 inches in practice or I had 93, 95 inches of practice. And I'm like, dude, I never know how many inches I have because I don't ever catch, really catch that many, like in one spot. Or if I do have, but do catch that many, it's because I went to like five different, four or five different places, happened to catch one big fish at each place, which is unlikely. And uh, in one day, but I'm not trying to catch five fish and see how many inches I have in an area because you can do the math. If you catch one that's, you know, 20 inches, you know, if you catch four more like that, you got a hundred inches. So, and if you know, if you catch anything else that's in that realm of a 20 inch fish, that's what you need to win. So you don't need to keep fishing and, and potentially kind of sore mouth your fish. Um, again, I know they reset, but the odds of you catching the same fish and it being, you know, it, on the same lure and all that, you, you just want to, you know, limit the amount of exposure they see to, to your baits and your kayak, because you got to think if it's a skinny water situation, especially, how many other people are pre-fishing that area and potentially, you know, cluing the fish in it as well. So you want to just get out of there. Plus you don't want, if you catch a good fish, you sure as heck don't want to be seen there. Uh, I mean, especially if you start, start to have a reputation. Um, if you're, uh, you know, a Russ Snyder's or Cody Milton or Matthew Scotch or Guillermo or whoever, or Christine Fisher, you kind of don't want to, you don't want to <laughs> be there long because people are going to assume it's one reason I don't like to be I like seen either, even though it's not true. If you see me, it doesn't mean that's a good area. It's just because <laughs> I don't know, but people are going to assume it is. And maybe I get in there and it, it, it is good. And then they assume it is. And then they just try pre-fishing there the next day. And then of course, I mean, it could have, it could sway them if they, if you see a good angler in an area, I mean, it's, there's nothing illegal about that. It could sway someone where to fish or at least be, uh, you know, in that, if there's a river, right. Uh, maybe they'll go a section up or down. They know that, Hey, if he was there and 
then it's probably going to be good above there, below there. And, you know, you never know. Um, so anyway, the, um, but try to work as fast as you can in pre-fishing, just hit spots and just, uh, I like to spend half a day even driving and not putting the kayak in. It's hard because I'll keep the kayak in the back, especially that little 10 foot ultralight, little throw and go or the, the new CK one venture. If you don't have enough money to get two kayaks, like a bigger water kayak and a small water, like I have get the CK one venture. If you're, um, uh, into the Crescent brand, or if you, if you looked at those, cause it's, it's still lightweight. It's like 11 foot, a little bit over 11, I think. And it's still very lightweight, like, like 50 something pounds, maybe 60, I think just around 60. So super lightweight. You can still throw and go real quick and you could put a motor on it if you needed to, uh, I'm sure. So, but anyway, move in and air out of areas quickly, um, and drive around, uh, without putting in smart, smart thing to do. If you can, if you looked at all those places and you got visual eyes on them, you drove somehow, you spent half a day and you, you just looked at them all. I promise you, you will now the same way we talked about doing the map and that circle all the way around the map. You, now you've seen them all, you know, you narrow this whole thing down and you've seen these 10, these 10 primo spots you've picked, you've seen them and you can tell, you know, this, this water clarity looked better. This water, just get a, get a digital meat thermometer and stick it in the water and see what the water temp is in all the different locations real quick and easy. You don't have to put a boat in and have your fish finder tell you the, the read, read out, just get a digital meat thermometer, stick it in the water. And you'll, cause if it's a springtime event, it may matter. Like if you got 64 degrees in one area and you've got, you know, 58 in another, I mean, more likely you're going to have more aggressive fish in that 64. So it may help you make a decision. So if you can, if you can discipline yourself to drive around, visually just see them all. I, I mean, make some cash from the bank, looking with your eyes. Do you see brim? Do you see minnows? Do you see life of any form? You know, is it, if you like stained water, did you find any places that were stained to fish with the baits that you like to throw in stained water, like a spinnerbait or a chatterbait? If you like clear water, which one was clear? And now you really can like the next day. Now you're like on it. Which ones are you really going to like put in the kayak? I'm going to run to, to X, Y, and Z. You try to hit three or four and then boom, you put in. And my general rule is I'll be there for a couple hours. Um, max let's, so two things are going to happen. One, you put in, you catch, you catch enough fish or what I like to do. It sounds crazy, but I mean, I definitely like to catch some, but I'm, if I see a big fish, if I'm lucky enough and I see a big fish coming after it in enough time, I, I pull it away from them and then I'm like gone. Or, you know, if I, you know, the place I caught the 18 inch fish on Ufala, I never actually caught a big fish in that area. Uh, even though I caught big fish in a lot of the areas, one big, one decent fish, 18 to 20 inch are in like four or five different places, but all I caught pre-fishing, but all I caught was like one good one. I never caught multiple at any spot, which had me confused on where to go. But the place I started at, I never caught one good fish, but I only went there because I saw a good fish roll in my bait and miss it. And I was happy about it. Um, I didn't, you know, it's kind of bummer. You don't get to catch the fish, hold it up and get some good photos and content, whatever you want to call it. But I was like, well, I know they're there. So that was kind of a good thing. Um, but I like to pull it away from them. Uh, if I can, if I see them and then I'm out. So either that happens I fish and I fish 30 minutes, catch some and, and I'm out. Um, or I keep fishing maybe two hours. I'm going to go, you know, hour and a half or two hours. I'll give it that long. See if I can just get a bite. Uh, if it's an area I really thought was going to be good and then I'm gone. I'm just like, I'm going somewhere else. But if I haven't gotten bit yet, or if I'm catching small ones, 
I'll stick around just to see like, okay, I've caught three or four small ones, but this is good for a limit. Then that, at that point in time, I'm thinking to myself, if I don't find anything else, I can come here and catch a limit. But then I want, I still want to see, I'm not, feel like I'm not damaging my odds or chances if I catch a bunch of small ones. So I'll keep catching them, see if I can find where a big one is in that area. Then I'm gone. So that's kind of my rule. A couple hours or if I catch them right away or have any reason to, to be like, all right, this is money. I'm, I'm gone. That's only going to help me find more areas because you can I, I tell you right now, you can never, never have too many locations, too many spots because you can, you'll, because things will change. Your uh, lake levels will drop or your rivers will get rain and it'll stay in them. We've had several tournaments this year where we had weather come in right before the tournament pre-fishing was nullified uh pickwick on kbf i i tied with my buddy uh who does the podcast with me ken and ended up getting second by tiebreaker to him he won but all the pre-fishing we did was pointless because all the rivers and creeks just got flooded so you could never have too many places because i needed to go to a spot more in the lake in that event and had i not moved so much pre-fishing and found multiple areas i would have and just committed you know to a certain spot or just said, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm just going to hang out and only fish half a day. No, just keep going. Keep finding more because you could show up if you got a skinny water spot in the morning. And dang it, if there's not four other people that found it and you're the fifth. And now it's like, Ew, you're all looking at each other like, I mean, what are we going to do? You know, like no one's probably going to win this from here. So you either got to go to another spot or just try to, you know, fish in a crowd. So keep moving. To, pre-fishing is so important to find multiple places plus you're going to have tournaments there those in those areas and those lakes again. So the more spots you find, because I promise you, you never made it in pre-fishing to all of your pins, all your waypoints. You never got to all of them. You just went to the ones you thought were most likely. But maybe the one that had the most fish was one that you didn't never even got to. So if you can cover all those pre-fishing in, in a tournament, then you can uh, – put them in, in the, in the bank, right? You know, what's there, you know, and then you can, the next time you fish that area, you can, or that lake, you can actually co cover a few more and then go back and revisit maybe a couple of your better ones. So never hurts to have too, too many. Trust me on that. So, yeah. One thing I wanted to say off of something you were saying, like basically where you said, you know, you throw the stuff that you're comfortable throwing and yeah. I, I, I love that because I'm I'm kind of the same way, you know. I've I've got a couple techniques like slow moving techniques, dragging the bottom, whatnot. I got a couple mm -hmm. faster moving techniques that I feel comfortable with, and especially for a noob, uh, I, I feel like that's good advice. You know, of course, you know you don't just want to throw one thing all the time. You want to have a couple couple of different things to change it up and you know they might not always want something right. dragged on the bottom might not always want something moving real fast but mm -hmm. like like my buddies say like oh I'll throw a shaky throw throw a shaky hit throw a shaky hit i can throw a ned rig i don't see mm -hmm. why i need to throw a shaky head when i know no. i can catch fish on a ned yeah. rig. so yeah like I, don't. I, I, I love that <laughs> like go with what you're yeah. comfortable with no, that's a really good point, and that's actually something um, that's been on my mind a lot because you hear a term in fishing, and this is actually good for the for the noob show here because you guys probably get overwhelmed a lot because there are so many techniques out there, and te there's so many more than there ever used to be. Remember, when I was a kid, there was a Carolina rig, a Texas rig, 
crankbaits, spinnerbaits, and buzzbaits, and topwater plugs, and that was it. There was no other way to catch fish. That was that was it. I really don't. There was jigs. Sorry, I missed jigs. I don't think I said jigs. Um, there was no other. There was no Nico rig. There was no split shot. There was no drop shot. There was no uh, Tokyo rig. There was there was really nothing. There wasn't even the flipping and punching with heavy weights like that. That was just starting to become a thing. I guess I guess that was kind of around. But um, today, there are so many techniques and ways to catch them. And there are two things happening. One, it's to sell more lures and and baits because you you could have caught them on a Ned rig. You could if a fish is going to body shaky head, I swear to you, it's going to body Ned rig. It's it's if you put it in the same spot, there's, I mean, unless a, a lake is so freaking pressured out of this world, like th that's the only chance in in the world it could ever make a difference when something is so similar, like a Ned Ned rig, and. A shaky head i just don't i don't buy it i mean lakes that are super super pressured i get there it will matter you know your line size and using fluorocarbon and something that's super invisible and maybe you know that wacky rig will come into play skipped under a dock because they've seen other stuff i get that but here's to kind of get back to what you're saying here's what i've been thinking about people use this term and it's about being versatile. Everyone says, oh, you, you know, being versatile. But a, a new angler or, so, or an average Joe, even somebody like me, who in the world has the time to learn all probably 50 plus techniques of fishing that we have, of bass fishing that we have now that'll catch a fish? When in reality, all you really need is something like you said that you can fish fast, medium, slow, and fish in every bit of the water column. That's mm -hmm. all you need. If you can. I mean, if you can uh, think about it, the same fish that would have hit your uh, Ned rig, or you said shaky head. Which one were you, Ned or shaky? I, I, I like the Ned rig. Okay, Ned. So the same fish that would have bit your Ned rig, I promise you, if you have a properly rigged TRD crawls on there from Z-Man, a little crawl, or a, a, a jig with that crawl on the back, a small like power finesse jig, something small, or a shaky head, or a tube, anything natural. If you know how to present it, you throw it down there in the same spot. The fish would most likely have bit any of that stuff. I mean, most likely there's just, I just don't see. So you just needed a tactic that you're comfortable with that, that you can fit. It would have been a drop shot, right? It would have been a drop shot with a little minnow imitation. It would have, it would have bit a wacky rig if it sank all the way down that far. If you're patient enough, let's say you're, you're catching a fish in eight foot of water, it would have bit, a lot of, you just need to, you don't need to be versatile guys. You don't need to freak out. You got to learn every technique in the bass fishing world. No, you need a technique that can get you deep. You feel comfortable catching fish deep. Um, and I mean deep, I mean like really just the bottom that it's on the bottom you're, you're dragging or it's whatever, just something that's a bottom kind of presentation. And maybe that's a, you just need a, you really need a couple. So whether you're dragging a jig, you're throwing a shaky head or it's a crankbait that, you know, that you're cranking down deep you need three ways. Give yourself a few, a Carolina rig. Just learn a few ways that you can catch fish when they're deep, because most likely they were going to bite. They're, they're going to bite a multitude. It's more about just getting the lure properly rigged. So it looks natural, the right color. I'm not saying you can just throw anything down there. You got to know how to present it. But once you learn and master technique that you're going to be able to catch fish on the bottom, like, you know, then you don't need to learn 
five other ones that are accomplishing the same thing. Cause you understand that one, the field, and you don't have time. You don't have time to learn it. When I first learned to punch, I went to the headwaters of the Wasissa river in Florida, full of lily pads everywhere, full of bass. I mean, you got to go to a private lake or somewhere like that, that, you know, is just loaded. There weren't big ones there. I've never caught a big one at the headwaters for whatever reason. There's big ones aren't there, but there are numbers of fish there. So go to a private lake or pond, learn like I, for me, for flipping a one and a quarter ounce, you know, with a seven, uh, 11 heavy action rod and 60 pound braid, you know, like a, like I said, one, one to two ounce tungsten weight, flipping it in the matted vegetation, flipping in there, you know, follow your line down and then flipping to another one. Keep going. Thump. I caught 40 fish that day and I'd never caught a fish doing that before then. And then what was cool about that I know exactly the feel. I know the kind of stuff, when, where. I caught enough fish to where I know how it feels to catch a fish on that technique. So now I can go. See, the problem is if you go try to do it on a public body of water, I've never, you've never caught a fish on a drop shot before. Well, or, or flipping, let's use that. You've never done that before. Man, that's tough. You're just going to go to the St. John's River and all day long try to just, you don't know where to begin. Dude, go somewhere where it's going to be so easy. The fish are so dumb learn the feeling, understand that the, the way to fish that bait, if you need to, you know, learn a tactic that gets you through thick vegetation, which if you live anywhere where there is thick vegetation, that's a good technique to learn, go somewhere like that, then learn it. So being versatile to me is not about learning every freaking technique, but that's the way it's being talked about in fishing because they want you to buy more lures. They want you to think that you have to have this to win because someone won a, a tournament on, on this technique, but they probably could have used 10 other techniques to get to those exact same fish and caught them. It was more about finding the fish, the offshore pile of fish that were hungry, unpressured, the, the skinny water fish. Like I like to do backwater fish that were unpressured and they probably would have hit a number of baits. So that's what I feel like being versatile is, is just making sure, like I said, I'll repeat it. You can catch fish in every water column with, you know, fast, medium, and slow presentations. And honestly, you can almost forget, throw the slow out because you may not, you really can catch fish pretty much all year round on fast and medium stuff. Even in the winter, you can, you know, if you're cranking something medium or, I mean, slow rolling spinner baits, to me, it's not, it's not dragging a jig, you know, a 10 minute cast or five minute cast. It's just getting it down deep and covering a lot of water, um, like with a crankbait or a spinner bait, if you take a, a clock, you know, it's throwing it at noon, throwing it at, you know, one thirty, throwing over here, just keep covering water, getting it down deep and running it by those fish that, yeah, they're sitting there lethargic. You're running it by them at medium speed and they just munch it. But anyway, you could, you get the point that's being versatile, not learning every one of these and every knot and all this stuff. Like they were, because then you're, you're not, you're a jack of all trades and you're a master of nothing. You almost don't know when to use, when do I use a drop shot or when do I use the, a Nico rig or when do I, when do I use a split shot rig, you don't know. Cause you don't, we're not pros. We don't have enough time on the water to really figure that out. So that's where I feel like we're, we're, we're going a little bit the wrong way. Being too versatile is uh, actually can be a, a negative being too versatile. And I, I should preface that saying too versatile with how many lure techniques and lures that you maybe have caught one fish off of or two and you just 
still are confused on when exactly I should use one or the other because they're so similar. They hit the same water column. They go the same speed. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. When I when I first started bass fishing for noobs, you know, I did a lot of episodes that were like uh, technique specific, and people breaking down how they do specific techniques. And like every week after talking to somebody, like oh a, a fluke or oh a weightless cinco or wacky rig, I'd go out and buy that so I, mm-hmm. so I could try it. and. Uh, now I have a ton of stuff that uh, just sits on a shelf because I like never used it or used it for a little bit. And, like, yeah, it didn't really work for me. And when I actually feel like I started doing decent, you know, catching fish is when I started actually spending time with techniques, learning these mm-hmm. techniques that I feel comfortable with, building that confidence with them. Yeah, and so now I pretty much always have an underspin with a Kitex swim bait on there, mm-hmm. a Ned rig, a jig, a crankbait, and usually a whopper plopper. I ain't thrown top water a whole lot here last year or so, but yeah. I usually got one with me. Mm-hmm. I like it, man. You got to keep it keep it simple, and then you've you've caught a lot of fish. I I know you have because those are the five you just mentioned. You've caught a lot of fish on those baits you just mentioned, so. Uh, you wouldn't have, have have had them out. That wouldn't be your mainstay, you know? So that tells me you've caught a lot on them, which means you've got confidence in them. Everything you just said, dude, a jig can hit every water column there is. I mean, a swim jig or just a flipping jig, getting to cover and structure. Uh, you know, top water you had covered. You had, I mean, everything was, you know, covered. The swim bait can can be worked at different water columns and speeds. Yeah, that's I mean, dude, one you can, of the you know, most versatile baits out there. I mean, you can run it fast, it is. slow. You can, like, yep. depending on how long you want to wait for it to sink, you can run it at the bottom or towards the top. I Absolutely. Mean, you can really run it like a like a top water if you really wanted to. You can. And, you can, and, dude. And, you know, it catches fish. That's, what I, that's actually what I call mm-hmm. uh uh, I think before the show we were talking about it. People that listen to the show, they know all about it already. I've talked about it several times. <laughs> but my PB I caught in December, I caught it on a uh, shameless plug Jig Masters underspin. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I had a Kitek on it and I was letting it float down and it is the bottom was really trashy. Every time I let it touch the bottom, I just come up with leaves and all mm-hmm. kinds of nasty trash on it so i'd let it sink almost to the bottom and then just slow reel it right over the top and that's how i got it nice man what well, i mean you're right you can you can fish that bait deep shallow whatever and the same thing goes for you know my favorite baits probably the chatter bait people know i throw a lot of chatter baits but but they make them in you know one and a quarter ounce they make them in uh, you know, as light as three eighths ounce, or even the, I guess the smaller ones are even lighter than that. Micros, but yeah, yeah, the micros and the the mini and the micro, so they're like one quarter, and then the I guess the micro is even smaller. But point is, you can use, yeah, like an eighth. Um, and it's just so teeny. I don't really throw that one too much, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I throw that Project Z Chatterbait with you know like a four inch diesel minnow. I mean, go go buy yourself the the three eighths or half ounce you know, project Z chatterbait in breaking brim and put a green pumpkin four inch diesel minnow on the back, Texas rig it on the back. Don't um, just come out right where the little slit on the bottom begins. So it's got a little slit on the bottom. I have them laying around right here. Probably could grab one, but cut out, um, just come out right then and then go back up through it. So it's just nice 
It almost hides. It hides more of the hook. It doesn't matter. Whatever you want to put on there, the the Kitech, it doesn't matter. Just match the the bait with, you know, whether it's a swim jig or or uh, chatter bait. Just match the plastic, obviously, to the color of the bait. And if it's if you feel like they're feeding on brim, which, dude, here's a little tip for everyone: bass are always feeding on brim. They're everywhere. They love them. Crappie brim, they love to feed on them. Obviously, some lakes have big shad populations, so that's when those shad colors come in handy sometimes too, depending on if you're where you're fishing in the lake. But anyway, they're always always on brim. Brim are always around wood, rocks that are in rivers and, and creeks. And anyway, that's why I like to use that color. It looks like a brim uh, pattern. But you can get every weight, and you can get you know you do have to go up in your rod um, action like a little bit longer maybe seven six medium heavy or even a heavy sometimes if it's <laughs> that you're using that one and a quarter ounce jackhammer but the project z it, they make it ounce but my point is it covers almost every water column just like you're saying with this swim bait a swim jig you can buy them in all different weights i mean you don't need you don't need as much stuff as people think and i don't care if i'm if i'm missing some fish that only would have hit a wacky rig uh or under a dock or a shaky head and it takes forever to catch them but i could have caught them and i moved i don't, I don't really care about those fish i want to only find fish that are aggressive aggressively feeding i don't have to like coax them into feeding no i want a fish that's aggressively feeding i can fish fast let other people take their time and work that hole and, and, and shake that bait forever and maybe they catch one maybe they don't but i've hit 10 holes 10 other locations that are, you know, lay downs in the lake or grass patches or points look, you know, looking for aggressive fish. And I feel like over time that, that will give me a, a slight advantage. You know what I mean? I'm going to miss some fish. I do admit I will pass up fish. Other people will catch behind me potentially on, you know, some slower moving stuff. Cause maybe I didn't get my fast moving bait close enough to that bass where to cause them to react on it. But you know, it's, it's just a numbers game. That's just the, my strategy. So anyway, but yeah. What else we got? Anything else? Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. Um, I know there's oh. one thing I definitely wanted to bug you about, but I was going to wait till the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I feel like we could go on for hours talking about this. We, we usually try to keep it around the hour. We're a little over an hour now. So like I feel like anything we get into, we're just gonna keep going and going. We're gonna end up making like three or yeah. four episodes out of this. <laughs> <laughs> I could, man. I, I definitely could. Uh, <laughs> what do you got? Well, yeah. Tom? So, uh, first of all, make sure if if you want more in depth on this, go check out uh, Drew's uh, Hooked on Wild Waters episode because it's on on YouTube, especially because they actually go into the map study and stuff and show you what the exact buttons he's talking about on uh, Google Earth and um, on far wide. So definitely check that out. Um, Drew, I was going to ask you about the, your upcoming, hopefully eventually uh, Crescent kayak. Yeah, I, I, man. I, I told my wife, I was like, I'm talking to the guy who designed my Kusa HD mm-hmm. tonight. I am so psyched. And um, I had told her for a while that uh, I'm, I'm still waiting to buy my next kayak. Cause I want to see what you're going to come out with. I almost yeah. bought the CK one. And, uh, but I'm like, I just want to wait a little bit. So I, I had to at least ask you what, what the timetable looks like for that. I know uh, the last time you were on the new or on Paddle and Finn, you, you said it potentially was coming at some point, but uh, I just wanted yep. to see if there's any update on that. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, uh, 
you know, COVID's kind of affected the whole industry. So supply chain, uh, if you noticed, you know, if you try to, at one point you could hardly get wood at like Lowe's or Home Depot and prices. Of, old, I think, yeah, yeah right? exactly. So things are definitely slowed down a little bit on uh, a few of the components and things. So some supply chain issues, a few other reasons that's a little bit further, going to be a little bit further behind than we were hoping, but it will be out this summer. So uh, okay. at some point this summer, you know, maybe uh, later in the summer, this summer, I don't know exactly somewhere in there. That's the plan. That's what it looks like right now. Anyway, uh, those things always change. So, you know, back when I was with Jackson, we'd always tell dealers it's this date and we were never anywhere close. It always was <laughs> so much later this time, you know, it actually was due to COVID. Um, but then how many of those normal delays are going to happen once we get the mold in and we start trying to quote dial it in, which is, I mean, for lack of a better term, basically it's just somebody at one point had to figure out, that you're you bake a casserole at 350 for 20 minutes not 375 for 18 how did they i mean but that's what dialing a mold is. it takes a little time getting all the assembly just right teaching the employees of the to how to to put it all together you know so that whole part uh you know you just don't know exactly you know we have a rough time frame but yeah i'm excited man it's i tell you this it's done i mean it's done in terms of like it's all done i mean i've i've got a 3d graphic of it that you know i'm sure you'd love to see that's like look <laughs> it looks like a real boat like yeah, you couldn't just, tell you couldn't tell you know why don't you just pop a picture up on the screen real quick and <laughs> yeah we'll real just... quick <laughs> we'll, we'll snap snapchat style just quick yeah. and it goes away no. yeah. <laughs> but uh it's it's pretty sweet i'll say that it's i'm really excited about it and it's it's got some cool unique different stuff on it and it's not going to be a price point that'll i don't know what it's going to be exactly but i mean it's it you know my, I'll just say this, the, the line of kayaks, I think we're calling it the specialized line with Crescent. It is more specialized in the terms of it. You know, if you're a little bit more of a, of a hardcore angler, you know, you might start with some of the, the great boats that we make that are, you know, they don't have a ton of bells and whistles on them, but they have enough to where you can build it up to whatever you want, you know, with the gear tracks and the mighty mounts. And you know, the little side pockets and things like that on our kayak. So they're, they're definitely have features on them and they're quality USA made product, but they don't, we didn't want to like just do too much to where the price point goes through the roof. And now beginners and most, most people, I think that's kind of where they want to spend in that range. You know, the boats I design are probably, you know, like the next boat for someone who maybe got into one of those, the ck1 venture or the ultralight or the, our light tackle it's like the next step up so it's gonna have a few more features it's not i'll say this it's not it's got more features and quote bells and whistles but it's also not pigeonholing you and putting you in a box like you've got to do this or do that it's not too it's not like it's a completely open layout where like a solo skiff is or like a new canoe is a good example they're very open it, to just kind of do whatever even our you know kayaks um all right, like the light tackle is pretty open. You, you build it, put whatever you want, where you want. Um, but it's a nice balance. It still doesn't put, put you in a hole where you have to like, this has to go here or there. Um, the only things that are like that on the kayak are things that you would only want in that location. It's kind of like in a, in a vehicle. Okay. No one wants your, uh, GPS in the back seat where you can't see it, the screen. No one wants the radio. So no one wants a cup holder where you can't reach it. So it's got everyone's cup holder. There's always something right in the, between the, the, 
passenger seat and the driver's seat. There's somewhere in that zone. So if there's a feature like that, that everyone I know is going to use, I put it in a spot that it really couldn't have gone anywhere else. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. There's a lot of cool integration and seamless integration with some other products. And so I'm excited to about it, man. I can't, I, I can't wait. So hopefully it won't be too much longer. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've been chomping at the bit forever, man. I, I told my, uh, my, I have a local paddle sports dealer who's a Crescent dealer. And I said, as soon as you know that you're date like have one to check out or let me know. And so super psyched. Oh man. I, yeah. I almost guarantee Brad Hicks is going to own one. Like he's <laughs> oh, been talking yeah. about this just ever since you like announced that you were going to design one. Like he, man, he's a big river guy. And, and like he, I don't, I, I, I think he has a fanboy crush on you. Like, because you're such a <laughs> river guy. So. Yeah. He's, he's a good dude, man. Brad's a good dude. He really is. Um, I enjoy his stuff too and what he does. And, you know, he's, he's been loving the, the Crescent stuff as well. And, you know, just, just to repeat too, man, you know, it's a small industry fishing is and paddle sports in the fishing side is even smaller. And, you know, I, I appreciate all those brands out there, everybody for pushing the, the sport forward and so many good companies making good products out there and um, just whatever you guys fish I and mean, out of it's, you know, I, we love them all Crescent. We're, we, we love all you guys and just, just keep, because here's the thing about kayaks, man, you use one for most people. I don't know. I would, if I had to guess, you guys might have an opinion on this. Most people get a kayak and they might use it for a, a few years and then turn it over and get another one. It's not like, a, you know, you use a kayak for you know, 10, 15 years because technology changes and, you know, they kind of get scraped up and kind of almost worn out a little bit and comfort, comfortable features change. The seats get more comfortable, things like that. And, uh, the fishability and whatever. So you get my, my point, you know, we just appreciate people getting into the sport because, you know, you might start off with a Pelican, you might start off with a, uh, just an inexpensive kayak from Walmart or, or, or Dick's or Academy or whatever. And I, I know a lot of the independently owned shops, you know, sometimes we kind of sneer at, uh, you know, not the biggest fans of those bigger box stores, but on the bright side, you know, that those people, I think if we can just get them into the sport, they're going to fall in love with it. And next thing you know, they're going to be looking for something that's a little bit more durable, a USA made quality product, more comfortable. We're, you know, we're going to get around to getting those guys into a nicer, you know, Crescent or wilderness systems or native or Jackson or new canoe, whatever, Hobie, any brand, you name it. We're going to get in, into that stuff eventually. And then three years later, they might be into another brand, you know? So uh, just, just keep, keep your options open, keep demoing different kayaks. And like you said, I mean, um, you know, if you hear something cool on the, on the horizon, you might have to hold off a little bit, uh, time, <laughs> time to time, but you know, eventually you're going to find what works for you. If you just keep paddling enough boats. And I always su suggest to everyone you're eventually, uh, so let me say it like this, uh, in the, in the pro circuits of bass fishing world, they have a maximum horsepower, maximum length and all that stuff right um everybody even not even at the elite levels but people that are at the lower even some of the lower levels most people that are serious have the maximum they allow you don't see a guy fishing the bassmaster elite series with 150 horsepower <laughs> they all have 250s what's going to happen at some point uh because kayaks are so much more in inexpensive right they're not <laughs> I'm not 60, 70, $80,000. Uh, 
what will happen is if you are enjoying the sport of kayak fishing and you are a fan, most likely, and especially if you're a tournament angler, I'm probably giving stuff away that again, this is, if you're a serious term angler, you will be very wise to have a big water boat. Uh, one that can handle either has pedals or, or motor or, or can do both. A lot of people use a torpedo or motor guide on their, their hobies or natives with pedals or whatever they have that they pedal. But you'll be very wise to, to just do one of two things. Cause you start sometimes with a boat that's like, it's kind of like just, this is good for everything, which really means if you kind of translate that, it's not great at anything. It's like, it can get you through big water. You're not going to like, you're going to survive, but you wouldn't be as good as you would have been in a, you know, a, a little bit maybe wider or, or, or longer boat or whatever, but just a little bit bigger water boat. Um, but it's also not a good, not the greatest, you know, it's not going to excel in skinny water. Cause it's not also a small throw and go super maneuverable little sport car, skinny water kind of, you know, boat. So what everyone probably will do. I see this is the future. I see this happening multiple times uh, with me already and other people starting to happen. You'll just get a good big water boat and a good small water boat. Uh, and that's kind of it. I mean, you'll, I mean, maybe even some people have three and you'll just use the, they're all just tools, right? Kind of like your, the lures and the rods, the reels, and you're going to pick the tool that fits that situation. And instead of having that one, that sort of just like, but you might start with that one, you know what I mean? And then you sell it and you get a one for, you know, you buy two or you, or you keep that one and you end up getting one that, that fits the situation where that one's not the best at, you know? So anyway, that, I think that's going to happen because there's no doubt about it. You can, I can do, do some better big water damage in the solo skiff than I can the CK one venture or the ultralight. So it's kind of nice to have that balance on either direction of the spectrum. So anyway, yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it that this sport is still young and as it grows and more money gets involved and more sponsors get involved, there, I, I can definitely see that happening down the road. You know, pe- yeah. people, people showing up, you know, Jody queen or drew Gregory or Russ Snyder showing up with a big truck pulling a toy hauler with five different kayaks yeah. in the back. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, it's, it's true, man. I mean, right now when someone, and I know a lot of people just, they just have like a, a, you know, bigger Hobie with a motor maybe on it for the events that allow it. And if you think about it, and but they may never want to fish the kind of water that I also am trying to find. So it may not matter to them, but I'm thinking, well, X number of people in the field who have a boat that's like that. And that's the only boat they have. You know, if I'm concerned about one of them getting to a spot that I've found that's a skinny water spot. I no longer have that concern. X number of people are already out of the mix ever getting into some of the places I'm going to get. That only leaves maybe whatever, like let's say half the field. And again, going back to my little strategy or my preference, what I try to do, just staying See, hidden. You stealthy. shouldn't have said that. Yeah. You shouldn't have said yeah, that. I shouldn't have. Now they're going to mess with you. Now they're going to oh, yeah. bring like a little light throwing go yep. kayak with them just to throw you off. You're like, just hey, to throw me off. You got to come out there where I'm at. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, sh- I shouldn't have. But anyway. Don't worry. None of the pros listen to our show. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a noob show. You know, that's actually one thing I did think about. I was like, you know what? I bet you I'm so concerned about all- saying all this, but how many of the guys that are really, you know what I mean? Like 
at the well, top you, or no, you, you, you'd be I mean, surprised. I, well, I mean, Adam Riser, he told he said one time that he listens to it while he's traveling and stuff. Because yeah. I mean, you you can learn something from anybody. I listen but, to the some of the paddle and fin shows. I've listened to some of y'all's. I think I look at the guests, and if I'm on a long road trip, I will too. But no doubt about it, man. You you know, I I mean, I look and I say, cause some sometimes the boat physically the draft or the weight and the size of it that the some of the i'm telling you i fished tournaments where my little teeny kayak i've fit through gaps um with between logs in a creek or river or under yeah no doubt about it i've gone under stuff before that nobody i mean nobody unless they're 165 pounds and in a little 10 foot kayak could have ever, I mean, my seat's laid back, my life jacket smashed against the logs. I'm going underneath it. There's no way, you know, a Hobie rides so high. You know what I mean? You, if you lay your seat back or take it all the way down, there's no way on earth and, I, and native Titan, a new canoe, whatever, that if you just had that boat, you're getting to where I got. No way, no way. And there's only probably five people in the whole tournament that had a kayak that even could have done it. So that's the kind of stuff that I just enjoy doing. And like I said, um, cause everyone's probably like, wow, that sounds cool. I want to do that now. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's, but it's not as great as it sounds because I've got stories where I've worked my tail off pre-fishing and gone so far and wasted a whole half a day, uh, if not more. And it's physically exhausting to do some of the stuff where I've gotten and, and it did, it paid off with nothing. I mean, I mean, dude. Uh, we got to roll. I know we got to run, but I will say this. I mean, even fishing that KBF Kissimmee tournament, I hiked through the woods during the tournament. I, I made a mistake and tried fishing new water. Um, I'd fished a little bit further downstream in this, uh, this Creek, but I was going to try to connect where I'd fished. So from that, and I had never gone from up to down and it was covered with hyacinth. So I had to hike out of the woods, like five miles with my kayak. And it was a swamp, not just woods. I'm going over cypress knees. The whole thing's just cypress knees everywhere and just brushed it so thick some places you couldn't even hardly get through it, let alone dragging a kayak. So it was not fun. And that's the kind of stuff that um, if I just got you all pumped up about that stuff, I'm going to try to deter you a little <laughs> bit now and tell you the reality. Because well, if you're getting up there in, in age or you're maybe not as fit as you once were, you might want to say whoa a little bit before you try some of this stuff because it's pretty – dangerous and just physically taxing and sometimes it's you can waste your entire day and you got nothing for it other than finding out where the fish weren't <laughs> <laughs> well i was gonna say like it sounds painful for me you know i'm six foot 250 so like trying to lay down and go under a look no i ain't doing all that <laughs> <laughs> no nah, it, it was... uh, i Hey, when you can go offshore, dude, you can go offshore and find the same unpressured fish. Yeah. It's just electronics, hit spot lock and sit there all day long and just cast out there and catch them. And I'm over there working my tail off, burning 5,000 calories and it, just trying to. I mean, I probably need my... to burn the calories. But, <laughs> yeah. You know, I've, I've, always, I've always been a heavier set guy and I've never been good at the limbo. So, I, yeah. I'm just... Not for you, and not for you. <laughs> oh, man. The, the one story I will finish on that was funny about that is I saw this little, like, and uh, this is uh, for a tournament. It was the Claremont Chain of Lakes for KBF. I got second. Jody Queen won this last year. And there was a, a like a lake. And then there was just this swamp that went kind of off the lake. And then all the way to the back of that swamp, it was a big, like, open, mini little, probably couple acre, three acre pond. 
So in theory, it's all connected because it's all just water. But the swamp is like shallow and just thick, and you know, gators all in it. And could <laughs> could I get there with, with my kite? Could I paddle through and actually get there? I don't know. But I found a way in pre-fishing to get to this open lake area. Uh, this guy had a house there. I just happened to stumble on him, and he said, "Yeah, you can, you can put in here." But I had a big, heavy boat with a motor. I didn't have this throw-and-go boat. Dude was so nice. He was like, uh, he had a uh, a Wilderness Systems tarpon. It was his son's, just a tarpon like one twenty, like a twelve footer. It was lightweight. I was like, "Do you mind if I if I borrow that?" So he was like, "Yeah, no problem." So I took this thing out there, and I am just barely pushing my way through this muck but in theory right it's all water that's connected and he said it was an old my old pit that they dug out for uh like an old strip pit or whatever uh and a quarry or something and it was real deep and i'm like i can't even make it i'm just I had to get out and i'm like waiting in like waist deep muck and i'm just <laughs> dragging this thing and now i'm freaking out just waiting to see gators everywhere because you know they're they're there and if I see something moving, it's just sketchy because you're under the water and it's black and you can't see anything. It's just so sketchy. It's I start thinking about as I get older now, I have family. I'm like, what am I doing, dude? Like I'm out here, we're gonna like risk life and limb, you know. And but I know that, <laughs> yeah, nobody else is doing this. I know that. And then I get out there and I fish the whole thing, and it took me like all day to get out there. I fished around it in you know 45 minutes nothing the guy told me stories oh yeah we've been out there caught 10 pound bass and all this stuff. and nothing i mean nothing no sign of life it sucked <laughs> and then i go back and i'm just stinky miserable exhausted and you just don't know though you, you don't know you don't know yeah oh i had to <laughs> i actually filmed the whole thing i never posted it. i filmed the whole thing and i was joking around with like i think craig die was back with wilderness systems and tim perkins and people and i was like shouting out to them i was like man you can't believe you're seeing me in a wieldy boat and all this stuff just messing with them i never posted the video but it was just you just don't know till you go i have so many stories where i've wasted a whole day or half a day and nothing just got nothing but it was like there's this little voice inside of me i could not let go of what if what if i get there and it's just this mother load jackpot honey <laughs> hole and it just I couldn't get out of my head where I just had to go, man. I even paddled up a flooded and Pickwick it flooded. I paddled up a flooded, I mean like in the fields, in the woods. I'm paddling in woods and fields, <laughs> farmer's fields. I am paddling up to some spot where I can see there were some old oxbows that may be connected now because the water got so high. I mean, one of the dumbest things I feel like I've ever done. It wasn't dan that dangerous, actually, even though it's super vol high volume of water. If You, you got to know what you're doing for sure. But once you get up actually into the woods – it's actually a lot calmer because it's flooded out and dispersed into the woods. It's not like narrow in a channel, dude. It was exhausting. It took me half a day. Oxbows. I got into them. The water was so flooded. It was so flooded. It was murky in the oxbows too. So the same red clay was all in there instead of it being like, Oh, you just go in there and it's clear, you know, like I was hoping nothing. And anyway, you, you guys get the idea. It's, it's, you win some, you lose some doing, I was going to say, but style. For every story you have where you did that and didn't catch anything, you obviously wouldn't do it if there was some stories where you did yeah. look out and smoke them, you know? That's true. That's true, man. So, but uh, <laughs> I enjoy it anyway, and I'll keep doing it as, as long as I can. And as long as age allows me to 
keep trying that stuff. And then, then one day I'll just hop out in the, the main lake, like, like uh, maybe Brian and get <laughs> up out there and <laughs> I'll see get, you out there. Learn, learn some more like, <laughs> yeah, electronics and stuff. And I actually will be diving into some, some higher end electronic stuff here pretty soon. Cause man, if it, if it helps you just catch one more and at the level, once you start getting to that elite level, you kind of, kind of have to do it. If it, if it just gets you one or two more fish, if you know what I mean, to have that tool again, I'm not going to use it all the time, but if I, if I need it, you know, you gotta kind of have to have it. So right. anyway, this has been fun guys. It's been a good time and enjoyed talking yeah. with you. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, do you want to shout out, uh, first of all, let people know where they can find you and then also shout out any sponsors or anything you want to, your, you know, your podcast. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, you, we've talked about it, but yeah, check me out. Um, I'm just drew Gregory fishing on, uh, pretty much everything. YouTube. Now I've changed everything over to just drew Gregory fishing Instagram, you know, give me a follow, give us a review and rating. If you uh, listen to our podcast, we appreciate that. Just like I know Paddle and Finn probably does. Uh, I don't do as many as you guys, you know, Ken and I get on, we hop on every uh, couple weeks or something. I, I really need to do more, but, um, but yeah, that's kind of where to find me on, on YouTube and Instagram. I'm best, honestly, guys on Instagram. And that's kind of where I'm, best i guess i'm on twitter too but it's all kind of goes from instagram to those other platforms so um love to interact with you guys if you have any questions uh or comments uh shoot me a, a you know a dm i'll eventually get around to probably responding hopefully but um i think that's about really it i mean as far as my sponsors go i mean it's if you follow me that's all i i ask and you'll you'll see i integrate that stuff seamlessly I don't use anything uh, and not sponsored by anybody that it's not a product that I don't, I don't use and believe in and trust. That's the reason why they're a sponsor. I was using their product and uh, believed in it. So we just sort of connected and became partners. So uh, if you, if you see it on the list or whatever, it's trust me, it, it works. And at least it works for me. I can say that. So, cool. but that's pretty much it. I appreciate you guys for all that you do. And uh, also want to say another big shout out to uh, all the, the tournament trail directors and uh, those guys out there, they're just, whether it's a local regional or the, or the big ones like KBF and uh, Hobie and, and the Bass Nation stuff. Uh, Cause they do a lot of cool stuff for everybody out there to give us these opportunities. And they probably don't get as, enough credit as we give them uh, because the sport is changing and evolving and growing fast. It's young. It's hard to do what they do as we're defining kind of the rules and the playing fields. So big shout out to those guys. Thanks again. Cool. Yeah, appreciate you coming. I wanted on. to give a, a shout out to Jimmy too for hooking us up with you, uh, making that happen. So Jimmy, thanks, dude. You you rock. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and one more announcement I'd like to make real quick before we close this up. Um, you know, when this when this episode airs, the following weekend will be Memorial Day weekend. Um, that Saturday, um. Uh, you know, we talked about it before. I'm kind of an assistant tournament director for the William, Williamsport Bass Trail. Uh, you can look them up on Facebook, Williamsport Bass Trail. We're holding like a non points event that Saturday. I believe it's going to be six to 12 best three fish. So if you're in the local area and you want to come out that Saturday morning, you know, you got the weekend off, come on out there. Things like 20 bucks buy in, $10 optional big bass. So yeah, come on out. It'll be fun. Yeah. Hey, speaking of which, the Paddle and Fin Trail is really good trail. I mean, you guys are doing it right, I've noticed, man. Like, really are doing it right. So, uh, you know, if you keep that up, then trust me, the, the, the numbers will continue to climb for sure. People are noticing. So, good, yeah, good they, job on that. 
they're starting to go up a little bit. I think everybody was a little sketchy at first, but you know, Brian and Susie and all them, they've been doing a good job with it. And, you know, they've gotten nothing but compliments about it. And I think this last one, you know, the numbers went on up quite a bit and hopefully they'll keep climbing. And Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Good. Hey, uh, uh, before I forget too, next, you guys should follow along the next two big tournaments. Uh, obviously, um, well, the next tournament for me that, that a lot of people are going to be at is the, uh, Bass Nation Kayak Series Championship, which is held in conjunction with the Bassmaster Classic. Uh, I know people will still probably fish on a KBF before then, and Hobie uh, maybe on Sam Rayburn. But the next one I'll beat is that tournament in Texas. That is one just to follow along with because the reason why I think that's cool is because that's going to be a, something pretty big for the sport of kayak fishing, to be on that Bassmaster Classic stage. And I'm actually writing columns for Bassmaster.com. not sure if you guys – know that or seen them but whatever i've been writing some i have two up already um you guys go check it out on bassmaster.com on the column section you can find them right now if you scroll down or you can search maybe even just search my name on bassmaster.com and you can find them but right now the one that's up is learning to share water with bass boats part one and two is up part two is up as well and it just talks about kayaks and bass boats in, in the worlds how are we going to you know are we going to clash are we getting too far in their lane? Is this going to be, or are we going to, can we learn to, you know, live in existence in our own lanes properly to, you know what I mean? Where we're not like kind of button heads where they kind of see us as just little, you know, mosquitoes always just kind of in our way. I hate these kayakers. Instead they see us in a positive light. So that's a cool article. And I have another one coming out about eventually about how this championship event will be uh, go down in history, potentially as important, if not more, than the original winner of the Bassmaster Classic, or or even this year's Classic Champ. Obviously, not monetarily, like like money wise. Classic Champ wins like three hundred thousand bucks. The winner of this event is probably going to win twenty five, somewhere around there. But in terms of historical significance, I promise you, in 15, 20, 30 years, we already have more people fishing out of kayaks, right? So you can extrapolate on that like so the more people that are doing a sport there's more mm. clicks more view more eyeballs so if there's more people in kayaks and bass boats you can make the argument that obviously it's going to continue to to go that route just because it's a lower cost of entry we're going to have more and more and more so you can make the argument that this is a a super super important trophy someone's about to hold on the classic stage on june 11th uh after our championship so that's the next big event you guys follow along with that cheer us on uh i don't have a clue what i'm gonna do i'm very confused and i've been doing a lot of map study to bring it all full circle <laughs> i've seen that map a gajillion times of that lake <laughs> and i just stumped because there's not really going to be much river stuff happening so <laughs> it's going to be a challenge so anyway thanks again well, guys good, good luck out there drew yeah, right, thanks it. again, Drew, for everything uh, you do for the sport. I mean, you're truly an ambassador. So thanks again for taking the time to come on and uh, chat with us. And uh, yeah, everybody, just uh, this has been the Paddle and Fin podcast, uh, the Best Recipe for Noobs segment, where we bring you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. Thanks, guys. Later, y'all. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Fin. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Fin. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Fin. 
on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler. The Angler button and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in Northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com 